Um, yeah, I, uh, I appreciate uh, Brother's intro. Uh, uh, I've spent a lot of the summer uh, uh, traveling. I was uh, in Israel and the UK uh, back in June, and then I've done about five different weeks of camp this summer with uh, teenagers, so uh, trying to get my normal sea legs back or legs back to being in this area. But why don't we uh, look to the Lord in a word of prayer, and then we'll introduce the topic and tell you where we're going. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we just uh, thank you for uh, the scripture. We thank you that we're able to look into it and get your thoughts about things. And Father, that it is truth, that this defines for us what is reality. And uh, we just pray, Father, that we would, uh, even as we uh, deal with this difficult and important topic, that you might uh, you know, put a hedge around us, as it were, even as we, uh, we uh, speak on these uh, things we talk about this unseen realm, Father, which is all around us. And Father, I just pray for this, uh, this meeting house here and our time today. Uh, most importantly, Father, your name would be glorified, the saints would be edified, and if there's anyone here who doesn't know your Son as their Savior, that they might be convicted of their need to know him as such. So we just lift up our time to you this morning. And again, Father, we thank you for uh, the scripture and the truth that it reveals to us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, um, just to give you a sense of where we're going, uh, in this first session here, we're going to look at the topic of angels, and I'll kick that off here in a second. Uh, in the next session, which will uh, occur at 10.15, we're going to look at the topic of the devil and his fall, and talk a little bit about the fallen realm, and then uh, in the third session, uh, we'll talk about... Uh, uh, spiritual warfare, look at Ephesians 6 and the weaponry that's available to us, uh, the armor, armor that's available to us, and we'll change it from more of a theological discussion to more of a pragmatic discussion uh, during the third session, and that'll probably spill over to our fourth session after lunch. So just give you a sense of where we're going, and uh, it's a weighty topic. I know uh, Billy Graham he said whenever he'd talk about angels or demons, strange things would happen. Uh, I, I don't anticipate anything like that, but, uh, but it is a, there really is this unseen realm. So let me tell you a little story. This is from Paul Harvey. It happened on the evening of March 1st in the town of Beatrice, Nebraska. In the afternoon, the Reverend Walter Klemper had gone to the Westside Baptist Church to get things ready for choir practice. He lit the furnace. Most of the singers were in the habit of arriving around 7.15, and it was chilly in the meeting house, so he wanted to get the uh, heat going. After doing so, he went home to dinner. At 7.10, though, about five minutes before uh, they were to uh, be at the church, and he lived right across the way, uh, he was getting ready to head out the door with his wife and his daughter, Marilyn Ruth. It turned out that Marilyn Ruth's dress was soiled. Something had spilled on it after, during dinner, and they had to wait while uh, Mrs. Klemper cleaned that dress. It caused them to arrive late. LaDona Vandergrift, a high school sophomore who was also a member of the choir, was having trouble with the geometry problem. She was so absorbed by the geometry problem 
that she lost track of time and she too arrived late. Rowena Estes was ready, but she couldn't get her car to start. So she had to call her sister uh, to ask them to uh, pick them up. Um, but Lavon, La, the, her sister, uh, because she had to pick Rowena up, had to go out of her way to go get her. And as a result, the two of them arrived late. Uh, Sadie Estes, uh, who was another member of the choir, had her car just break down on the way to, uh, to, to meet the choir. Mrs. Leonard, Leonard Schuster would ordinarily have arrived right on time with her small daughter, Susan. But on this particular evening, Mrs. Schuster had to go to her mother's house to pick something up uh, in advance of the meeting. This, too, caused her to be late. You could go on and on and on with the people who arrived late to the church that night. And instead of arriving at 7.15, which most of them were apt to do to be on time, every one of them got there about five to 10 minutes late. The thing that's so interesting is that at 7.20, a roar was heard across most of Beatrice uh, when uh, the Westside Baptist Church blew up. The walls fell outward, the heavy wooden roof crashed straight down like a weight, and it crushed everything, including the pews that were inside. Uh, it turned out that there was a faulty wire associated with the furnace, and uh, the reasons that people were late were soiled dress, catnap, unfinished letter, a geometry problem, a stalled car, all of the members of the choir. Uh, something had occurred that night that uh, caused them to be late. Firemen thought the explosion had been caused by natural gas, which may have leaked into the church related to a faulty wire. Uh, or also, there was a broken pipe outside. And when uh, Reverend Klemper had lit the furnace, it just was the right amount of time uh, to cause this explosion to take place. Um, it's interesting, the next day, the newspaper ran a story saying an act of God by the way, just so you know that this is a real story, that's, uh, that's the uh, chapel. Um, now, it could just be coincidental that somebody had everything go, it was 30 members of that choir, 30, 31, 32 members of the choir that had something go on that night. Or it could be, you know, sometimes maybe coincidences aren't so coincidental. Maybe there really was something afoot that night. And, uh, you know, the scripture teaches, well, this is from the Gospel of Matthew. This is the Lord Jesus Christ's words. Uh, incidentally, I just did a, uh, a discussion with a college group about how do we know that uh, the Gospels are accurate and they're authentic. And you'd be surprised how many uh, uh, historians in the first century uh, or in the second century went about the task of interviewing people. Uh, there's a a historian by the name of Papias, and he does pretty much what uh, many others have done, Lee Strobel, William Ramsey, uh, C.S. Lewis, where they set out to examine the evidence. And this Roman uh, soldier in the first century by the name of Papias, he goes about the task of interviewing uh, anybody you can find to see whether or not 
the words of Christ were recorded accurately. And he said, you know what, it looks, there are witnesses who bear most of these things out. Um, anyway, so on that authority and the authority of the Bible, we know that Jesus said this. Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I say to you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. Um, Jesus taught that angels existed and exist. Angels are mentioned at least 275 times in the Bible. The word angelos, which is the Greek word, or the Hebrew malak, uh, basically means the same thing. It's the term for messenger. So uh, if you're literally defined what an angel is, literally the, the words that play in the Bible mean messenger. The Old Testament is filled with references to angels, uh, whether it's across the, the law, uh, you know, the, the Pentateuch, the, the writings of Moses, he writes about angels through and through. Uh, the prophets certainly write about angels. Uh, some of the most profound uh, uh, discussions of angels occur in Isaiah and in Ezekiel. Uh, Jeremiah references them. They're in the writings. Uh, David uh, and Solomon uh, refer to them. Um, many, many, many of the minor prophets will refer to angels. Zechariah does in detail. Um, Moses mentions angels at least 32 times. They're mentioned a hundred. I'm uh, sorry. They're mentioned another 37 times across Joshua, Judges, Samuel, Kings, and Chronicles. And they're uh, mentioned again numerous, numerous times, uh, more than uh, 200 times uh, across the prophets, both the major prophets and the minor prophets. Do you know that every writer in the New Testament refers to angels? Doesn't mean that every book of the New Testament refers to angels, but every writer at some point or another will mention angels uh, at least at some point. And of course, Jesus speaks of angels on a number of, of occasions. We're going to talk about what angels are. This is what they're not. <laughs> Many think of angels as being these fat little babies or cherubs. Uh, this is, anybody know what this is from though? Yeah, that's correct. Michelangelo, who said that? Uh, Michelangelo's uh, Sistine Chapel in Rome. It's amazing, by the way, when you, uh, if you get a chance to go to the Vatican and see it. Um, this is not how the Bible describes angels as fat, nude little babies with wings. Uh, since the end of World War II, there has been an increasing interest in angels. Uh, by the way, it, it goes back before World War II. I was debating how to start this session off, and I, uh, this, and I, I didn't want it to strictly become a discussion of angels, so I decided not to go down the road of how many major religions in the world start off with the visitation by some angel? Do you know that Islam attributes the Quran to Gabriel? Uh, Mormonism attributes uh, the writings of the Book of Mormon, uh, so much of it to some of the information that was passed on by the angel Moroni. Uh, the founder of uh, Seventh-day Adventism, uh, C.B. White, uh, if, if I remember right, uh, she was said to have been visited by an angel over 2,000 times. Um, you know, it goes on and on and on. I think of the verse uh, Paul wrote about if an angel, pre even if any were to preach another gospel, even an angel from heaven, let him be accursed. Anyway, it's a subject for another time, but 
Uh, since the end of World War II, there's been an increasing fascination with angels in our society. Does anyone recognize the uh, picture to the left? It's, uh, what's the film? It's a Wonderful Life, 1946. Uh, Jimmy Stewart said it was the most fun film he ever worked on. Um, he was just happy to be out of the uh, Army Air Corps. Did you know Jimmy Stewart flew uh, more than 20 missions over Germany during the war? As a pilot. Anyway, uh, Clarence is trying to get his wings, and he has to help George Bailey in his life. And if he's able to help George Bailey in his life, he moves up to angel first class, I think. Uh, is that how angels get their wings? Uh, who's the fella on the right? What's it? Uh, who's uh, the, sorry, the Staffy Duck, right? By the way, Daffy Duck appeared in 133 episodes of Looney Tunes. He's behind only Bugs Bunny, who appeared in 166, and Porky Pig, who appeared in 159. I'm sure you never expected to hear that at a subject like today. Um, too much information, that's right. Um, the reason why he's relevant for our discussion today is because in this particular episode, uh, he is competing with Bugs Bunny in a vaudeville act, and Bugs Bunny keeps out doing him. And Bugs Bunny does something, they all cheer, and Daffy Duck does something, and they never cheer. So finally, to uh, win the competition, um, Daffy Duck mixes this elixir of gunpowder, TNT, and nitroglycerin, and he shakes himself up, and he explodes. And the next scene you see is him flying up to heaven, sprouting wings. And the reason why this is relevant is because Looney Tunes started the idea in American culture, and it was innocent enough, but they started the idea in American culture that when someone dies, they become angels. And I can't tell you how many times I have talked to kids at camp where they believe that angels are the dearly departed dead. Is that what the Bible teaches? The most popular episode in the 1970s, there was one episode, uh, apart from MASH, this is on the top 10, and it's Little House in the Prairie, uh, one of the most popular series from the 70s. Uh, the most watched episode of Little House in the Prairie was an episode entitled, The Lord is My Shepherd. Anybody ever see it? It is a great episode, by the way. Uh, in the scene, uh, by the way, Melissa Gilbert, who was Laura Ingalls, and Karen Grassley, who was the, her mother, uh, said it was the best episode that they had ever produced. Michael Landon personally wrote the script. Uh, in the episode, Ernest Borgnine plays a character named Jonathan. The episode ran on December 18, 1974, which uh, was particularly interesting to me because that's two years from the day my father died. And I remember watching this episode. I was seven at the time. Um, in the uh, episode, Laura doesn't pray for her dying baby brother because she's jealous of the attention he gets from her parents. When he finally dies, she blames herself for it. So she decides to run away and prays to God, and she decides to offer herself up in the place of her brother. And she figures if she can go to the highest mountain, and ask God to take her, and then she'll get her parents, her baby brother, back. 
And while she's running to do that, she encounters Ernest Borgnine, this character named Jonathan. And it is pretty sound biblically that this fellow shows up who intervenes in her life. And as it turns out, he ends up being an angel. Um, far closer to what the Bible might say about angels than, than anything else uh, the media has tended to produce. So what are angels? Who are they? Where do they come from? They're created. That's exactly right. Uh, Colossians 1, 15 through 17. In context, the subject of these verses is the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son. You'll see that if you look at the verses right prior to that. He, that is the Son, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. That doesn't mean that he's the first created thing. That means that he's preeminent over creation. For by him, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible. And then you have this weird listing where there are thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things consist. Uh, for all sorts of reasons, we believe thrones, dominions, principalities, and powers is a listing of classes of angels. But regardless, the point I want you to take from this is you see where it says all things were created through him and for him? That tells you a couple things. First off, that angels, like everything else around you, were ultimately created by who? And specifically, God the Son. The scripture is a work of God the Holy Spirit. doesn't mean that God the Father and God the Son aren't involved, but ultimately we know from writings of Scripture, it's the Holy Spirit who is moving the writers of Scripture to write. He's the one who's selecting the words. The work of creation, if you did not know it, was specifically a work of God the Son. It doesn't mean that we don't find verses where it talks about God the Father creating or God the Holy Spirit creating. They were involved too. But primarily, the work of creation was a work of God the Son. It was God the Son that walked with Adam in the coolness of the day. We know from 2 Corinthians, he is the visible manifestation of God in bodily form. Um, so God the Son created angels. They are created beings. If they're created beings, what does that mean? They're not eternal. They're going to live forever the same way you are, but they're not eternal in the sense that they've not always existed. There was a point when they didn't exist, and then there was a point where they did exist. Jesus Christ created them. So there's no eternal duality between good and evil. You understand it? Half of the world's religions have failed in the understanding that. There's no eternal duality. Evil has not always existed. The devil has not always existed. Fallen angels, or angels of any kind, have not always existed. They were created by God the Son. The only thing that's eternal is God. Not even time is eternal. We know from the writings of Scripture and the writings of Paul that God created time. We know from physics that time was, at one point, did not exist. If you doubt that, you read Stephen Hawking, A Brief History of Time. The great confirmation of 20th century physics is that time itself is a property of this universe, and it came into being at a certain point prior to which it did not exist. almost blows you away to think about it. By the way, space hasn't always existed. Physical space, it too was created by God. 
All things were created through him and by him. Everything you can think of, he created. The only thing that's not created, it's God. So, um, by the way, a great passage to use if you're witnessing to folks who don't believe Jesus is God. Colossians 1, 15, 17. So when were the angels created? Job 38, verses 4 through 7. This is God uh, speaking to uh, Job. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know, or who stretched the line upon it? To what were its foundations fastened? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. We know from the scripture that the term son of God, or sons of God, is a reference to that which is directly created by God. You are procreated. Things that were directly created by God are referred to in Scripture as a son of God, as opposed to the son of God, which was never created. Hope I didn't confuse you. So you have God the Son, who was never created. He's created everything. But every time he created something directly from his hand, Scripture refers to it as a son of God. Adam is called a son of God. You see that in Luke chapter 3. Uh, angels are called sons of God in Job chapter 1 and in Job chapter 2. Uh, for some reason, uh, you know, actually for that reason, we think that Genesis 6 may be a reference to angels that engaged in the sin with uh, humanity. And if we get a chance, we'll talk more about that later. Um, and again, this is a son of God is different from the son of God. There's only one son of God, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. But things that are directly created from God's own hand in Scripture are referred to as a son of God. By the way, you become a son of God when you put your trust in Jesus Christ and he works a new creation in your heart so that you're made a new being before him. You follow? Okay. Angels are not procreated. They're directly created by God. They don't have mommies and daddies. They're all created, and from Job 38, it's apparent they already existed when God started to create the world. So seemingly they were created um, before the events of creation week, or at least before the events, uh, well, yeah, before the events of, uh, some, uh, before you see the earth starting to form. So much so that they were around to shout for joy. Incidentally, this term morning stars, we think that also is a, uh, uh, could be a reference to angels. And one thing you'll see about angels time and again in the scripture is that they seem to love pomp and circumstance and music. Uh, we'll come back to that a little later. Um, so they're created by the Lord Jesus Christ. They seem to have been created before the foundation of the earth, earth was uh, laid. Now, how did God create the angels? He creates them the same way he created everything else. Let's look at this verse. Psalm 148. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. He also established them forever and ever. He made a decree which shall not pass away. So a number of things that are told to us here. First off, angels like us 
are eternal beings. They're established forever and ever. They'll always exist. How did he create angels? The same way he created everything else. He spoke it into existence. God said, let there be light, and there was light. You see that God speaks things. By the way, if you're not up on this kind of thing, and it's okay because I'm not so much either, but philosophers have a field day with this because what they're saying is that the way, the mechanism God uses to create things is through information, through the communication of information. Philosophically, it's absolutely profound. It says that this universe is governed by organized information, if you think about it. It's the communication of information that God uses to create things. Um, anyway, we'll leave that there. It's a subject for another time. So how did God create the angels? He spoke them into existence. He communicated them into existence. And what was the condition of all angels when they were created? They were absolutely perfect. God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. By the way, this is the closest we have to when Satan might have fallen. Scripture says he looked at everything he created and it was still good on the sixth day. So it very well may be that Lucifer fell sometime after the sixth day and maybe shortly thereafter. Uh, not 100% certain about it, 100% certain about it, but this is the closest inkling we have that most likely he fell after uh, the sixth day of creation week because scripture says everything he had made was good now like this smiling cute little guy right I'm presuming he's a guy could be a girl I guess although if he's a girl he has long eyelashes right isn't that the way it's supposed to be the smiley faces uh, do you think uh, that's what real angels look like I think there might be a little bit tougher than that um, this is a little tougher looking angel, right? We'll talk about the wild ideas about what angels look like in a, in a second here, but um, Scripture tells us that angels are organized or garrisoned like armies. You see that in Revelation chapter 12. Uh, they absolutely have a chain of command. 1 Kings 22 refers to the angels as being a host of heaven. Uh, if you don't know what a host is, it's basically an army unit. Uh, it's a militarized unit. Hebrews 12 refers to angels as being a company. Uh, in context there in the book of Hebrews, it's very similar to the word that's being used for battalion. Uh, there are military, military terms that are used to describe the organizations, organizational structure of angels. Uh, and, and I mentioned this before, but... Understand that angels are a host and we are a race. They were created at one time directly by God's own hand. You were not. You are a race. You were procreated by your parents. Uh, this is important because it may be one of the reasons why you get a second chance and they do not. You have the chance to be saved and they do not. Uh, you see this, by the way, in the book of Romans. Um, and, you know, Romans 5.12 says, uh, and I've just coupled verses together here for the sake of time, therefore just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, thus death spread to all men because all sinned. 
But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by the one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. For if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Uh, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. Uh, Let me just lay out heavy theology on you. When Lucifer fell, that had no direct impact upon Gabriel. He didn't fall with him. When Adam fell, it impacted all of us. What was imparted to us was a sin nature. And it may explain why God is merciful to us and not to them. Uh, Incidentally, uh, well, we'll come back to this. Um, Well, we'll come back to it. Angels are tough. Again, I'm showing you some of this angelic art. We won't do a whole lot of this, but... um, you know, there's all sorts of different ideas about what angels look like. They don't look anything like this. Um, I was just trying to find a depiction that would show angels as being kind of tough. Uh, one little old angel. Well, they're not little. They are old, though. But one little old angel, one night, in response to the prayer of Hezekiah at the dispatch of the Lord, does what? Wipes out 185,000 Assyrian Crack troops. Best army in the world in 701 B.C., which is when uh, that, uh, the events of Hezekiah are taking place and the siege of Jerusalem by Assyria is occurring. Uh, best army in the world, the most vicious army in the world, is the Assyrian army, uh, based out of Nineveh. By the way, what city is Nineveh today in the world? It's Mosul, where your beloved Marine Corps was fighting a decade ago. Uh, um, where ISIS is getting whooped right now. Um, But uh, anyway, one angel wiped out 185,000 assault troops. They're tough. They're not fat little nude babies. Um, And again, you'll find artists all over the place in their depiction of them. This was supposed to be the artist's depiction of the angel of death that moved through and slaughtered the uh, firstborn of the Egyptians. Incidentally, absolutely historical event. not only do we know that from the scripture, we know it from Egyptian writings, uh, Egyptian execration texts, uh, the uh, uh, Ipawar papyrus, it's in uh, Holland, uh, the Amduat, it's a wall mural in uh, Egyptian tombs. The, the events of Exodus have been well established outside of the scripture, but you know, put that there. Why are artists all over the place in, in depicting angels? Well, what does Hebrews 1 say? To which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? There's a number of things that are packed into this verse here, but let's let's break it apart here. Uh, Angels are essentially spirit in nature. That is, they're without flesh flesh and blood bodies. Scripture talks about in Ephesians 6, that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against principalities and powers. Angels are not corporal. 
They primarily do not have physical bodies. They can take on human form, but that's not their nature. You're tripartite in nature, your body, soul, and spirit. Angels are essentially spirits. They have emotions, they have will, they have desires. Uh, they have those things that are associated with the heart and our inner being, but they don't have the physical makeup that we do. Uh, now, having said that, in fact, we know that from Scripture, Luke 24, verse 39, the Lord says, a spirit does not have flesh and bones. So angels don't have flesh and bones. They don't have physical appearances that we can necessarily see, but they will occasionally manifest themselves. But don't mistake this for saying that angels aren't, don't have localized presences. And this is another mistake that Christians make quite often. You understand that the devil is not in this room. Well, he could be in this room, but if he's in this room, he's not in the Vatican or in Washington, D.C., or down at the Yonkers Assembly. Only God is omnipresent. Angels are not. We see this in the book of Daniel where you see angels are fighting and one angel is delayed from reaching Daniel. Uh, you see that in uh, latter chapters of Daniel. Um, so they have localized presences. They're not everywhere. Now, there are lots of angels, lots of fallen angels. In fact, I think we'll see a little later on there are more of them than there are of us. Um, but they're not omnipresent. They have a localized presence. They're also not omniscient. They can't read your minds. They don't know everything. They can put thoughts in your mind. But who is the only one that's omniscient? God. They can put thoughts in your mind, but they don't know everything. They guess at the future. They understand the scripture very well. You know, the fallen angels, uh, Lucifer was able to figure out, Satan was able to figure out that I got to keep Christ from going to the cross based off a of prophecy. So they understand what God has revealed very well. But they don't know everything. Only God knows everything. Uh, by the way, this is the basis why some people think we have guardian angels assigned to us. Scripture says, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? Uh, I had a preacher one time, Bible teacher one time, was talking about his son. In fact, you know Dave Glock. Uh, he's a professor out at Emmaus. Uh, you may know him. Okay, well, his son, John Glock, he would talk about uh, his boy, John Glock, had this propensity to climb trees. And he said, I'd watch him and I'd be gasped and I'd see how high up he'd go. And as soon as I thought to myself, I better run out there to get him, he'd fall out of the tree. The kid has fallen 12, 14 feet out of the tree. He'd hit the ground, bounce right up, and just start playing again. He's like, if I doubted guardian angels before then, I know they exist now. <laughs> Um, and that's kind of a funny story, but Scripture would seem to imply that there are angels who minister unto us. Uh, and I'll take it one step further. If you look at Revelation 2 and 3, it talks about the letter to the angel at the church of Ephesus or the letter to the angel at the church of Thyatira or so on and so forth. Um, it could very well be that angels are not just assigned individuals. They're, it seems to be they're assigned to local fellowships. Uh, you definitely get that sense in Revelation uh, we know that angels are fascinated by the local fellowship. Uh, I wouldn't be a bit surprised if there are angels attached to this Westville Chapel here uh, who are more aware about what's going on here than they are what's going on down in Yonkers or in Los Angeles. Uh, scripture certainly allows for that, and I think it implies it in Revelation. Uh, 
Hebrews 13 says, uh, do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing some have unwittingly entertained angels. Uh, to be sure, Scripture allows for and uh, certainly teaches that angels at times can manifest themselves in uh, human form. We certainly see that in Genesis. Uh, when Abraham is visited by the three angels, no doubt one of which is, uh, is uh, God the Son. Uh, but it, it's made for some fascinating fiction in Christian literature. The most listened to, you ever hear of Adventures in Odyssey? Uh, the most listened to uh, programs, the most popular programs in the history, uh, history of Adventures in Odyssey are the Malachi episodes, if you remember those, where they're entertaining this angel and they don't realize he's an angel. Um, well, he starts to tell them he's an angel and then they forget it later on, but it's a fascinating episode. Uh, angels are fascinating uh, uh, studies in culture and in writing. Um, by the way, that's Daniel 10 that was the reference to angels fighting and not being able to be in two places at one time. Daniel 10, 13, uh, the angel that's responding to Daniel's prayer is uh, held up by a, a, a fallen angel that seems to be referred to as the Prince of Persia, which leads us to another point. Scripture not only seems to teach that angels are associated with local fellowships, but it may be that they're associated with kingdoms as well. And you see this in Daniel 10, where certain fallen angels are associated with Persia. And other ones seem to be associated with Greece. Uh, so I wouldn't be surprised if there are both good angels and bad angels that have been assigned to these United States. Especially when you think about the United States' place in the world. Uh, Larry Burkett, uh, if you know him, he was a Christian uh, financial advisor, wonderful brother in the Lord, uh, was once asked where he thought the United States was in Bible prophecy. And he said, I don't know if I see anywhere that the United States is in Bible prophecy, but I do know the United States' role in the world, and that's to fund the spread of the gospel around the world. And say what you will about these United States and, and our flaws the one thing we've done better than any nation that has ever come down the pike is send missionaries out and send money to fund the gospel work around the world. We've long passed Britain and what she did. Uh, anyway, leave that there. Um, again, I'll just say this. While angels and fallen angels can't read your mind, they can certainly put thoughts into your mind. And we see that with the devil and his interaction with Judas. Talk about the wicked effects of sin. And we're going to talk about Judas's fall in a little bit. Or I'm sorry, the devil's fall in a little bit in the next session. But sin is so corrupting. You think about its impact to Lucifer. How much more so does it have impact on us, which are uh, minor in comparison to the bearing and the being that angels are. Scripture talks about humans being a little lower than the angels. Um, but Satan, on the one hand, at the start of Christ's ministry, is trying to keep Christ from going to the cross because he recognizes that uh, the cross will be his undoing. And yet, by the end of Christ's ministry, he's the one who is possessing Judas to betray Christ to get Christ to go to the cross. It's almost a theological insanity that sin brings about in Lucifer. And sin is not a being, it's a state of existing. There's not a person out there called sin. Sin is the result of rebellion and disbelief towards God. 
And we'll talk about what the sin was that Lucifer fell with in a second. Anyway, let me bring you back to this for a second. First time you really see angels, they're implied earlier on in Scripture. Uh, but in Genesis 3, through 24, Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Uh, first time you see cherubim, at least in Genesis, angels in, in Genesis, is right here. And understand what's going on here. It looks like it's judgment from the Lord. It's actually one of the greatest acts of mercy. When God kicks Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden, he's primarily doing it for one reason. He's guarding access to the tree of life. The cherubim is a detached soldier. It's a detached... Uh, uh, yeah, place cherubim. Cherubim is the plural of cherub, so there's more than one there. They're detached to guard the Garden of Eden and specifically the tree of life. What's going on here? The tree of life, in some way, some uh, uh, spiritual way, it seems as if mankind, if we were to eat of this tree of life, that our bodies would never have died. And you see this show up again in the book of Revelation. Why is that deadly important to God to keep Adam and Eve from eating from the tree of life? Because if Adam and Eve eat from the tree of life, based off of something that's associated with it and how God has constructed it, they'll live forever. God doesn't want them to live forever. Why? Because he needs to provide a blood sacrifice that can die. If Adam and Eve eat from the tree of life, they're locked into their body of sin forever. So God kicks them out of the Garden of Eden to protect the way to the tree of life so that humanity can begin to die. You say, well, that sounds like a terrible judgment. It's actually the greatest act of grace because it's only, only going to be through death that God is able to bring about the redemption of the race. Do you follow? One of the descendants of Adam and Eve needs to die to pay the price for sin. If they had eaten from the tree of life, they would have been locked into this. Their bodies never would have died. They would have been like the angels. They never would have died. And it would have been impossible to renew them, to, to redeem them. So uh, cherubim are intimately associated with God's order of things and in, in, as it relates to redemption. They don't bring about our redemption, but they protect the way of access. And uh, um, there's more we could say there, but by the way, what I think of the tree of life, I think it looks like this tree. You may have your own ideas. This is, uh, by the way, it's called the angel oak tree. It's the oldest tree found east of the Mississippi River. Uh, oldest uh, living thing on the continent east of the Mississippi. It's found in Charleston, South Carolina. And if I were to put a person up against the thing, it would be about this big. That's a pretty big tree. Um, anyway, that's just a speaker's device. Get you to look at the tree, break up the monotony. Um, I'm running out of time as always happens with this topic. The Bible tells us that angels are organized according to ranks and are extremely given over to a chain of command. They love to assemble together. You see it in Job 1. You see it in Psalm 89. By the way, there are probably billions of angels. There may be trillions of them. We know in one instance in the book of Daniel, chapter 7, verse 10, 
that there's at least that one occasion where 100 million showed up for a meeting. 100 million uh, angels. Job says their numbers are like the stars of heaven. And if you figure that the Milky Way galaxy alone has maybe 200 billion stars in it, and there's, that's one galaxy of hundreds and hundreds of millions of galaxies, it gives you a sense of just how many angels there truly may be. Um, Hebrews 12 tells us there's basically too many for us to, too many for humans to count. Uh, so I think it's pretty fair to say that there are more of them than there are of us. Any of you served in the military or in law enforcement? Okay. So uh, you know what these insignias are? They are ranks. This is the officer ranks for the U.S. Marine Corps. And then the uh, enlisted men's ranks for the U.S. Marine Corps. Uh, we think the teaching of Scripture based off of Colossians 1 and Ephesians 1, Ephesians 1 is that angels have ranks as well. And if you piece these things together, um, uh, you know, we know of at least the rank of archangels, thrones, senior dominions, principalities, powers, mites, and then some kind of junior dimension, dominions. Those are just seven ranks that, that are implied in Scripture of different ranks and classes of angels. The chief angels, or the angels that are, are over the uh, uh, legions, seem to be archangels. Um, and beneath them is a more junior-ranked uh, throne, and beneath that are senior dominions, principalities, powers, mites, junior dominions. So all I'm saying is our militaries uh, don't seem to be the first that have come up with ranks. Angels seem to have their own ranks. Incidentally, this will come back to this later on, Scripture says that when Satan fell, part of his problem was the wickedness that was found in him due to the abundance of his trading. He may have been going to the senior dominions and said, you want to be a throne? You want to be a little higher-ranked angel? Come follow me. Um, scripture implies that their discipline is absolutely profound. Uh, you know, we have tremendous uh, military orders in the United States. We have the Navy SEALs, Army Rangers, our beloved Marine Corps. You know, uh, you name the uh, discipline in the military, they've got some fabulous uh, 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 soldiers, sailors, and Marines, airmen, and uh, they're impressive. Nothing more impressive than going to a military parade. Uh, I worked with the Marine Corps when I was uh, overseas uh, for a whole summer in uh, harm's way and uh, it is impressive to see these guys and uh, to see them do their drill i was uh, uh, saw the marines at eighth and i where they do their combat drills where they flip their guns back and it's the most impressive thing you could see and and blows away the changing of the guard in england by the way you look at our u.s marine corps doing their, their drill team compare it to the british there ain't no comparison we blow them away um, as much as I am impressed with the discipline of our troops, they've got nothing on the angels of heaven. Think about this. Matthew 26, verse 53, the Lord expressed that there were 12 angels alone that he could have called in a moment that would have responded to his need if he so chose. I always find that ironic, by the way. That's just his in throwing something out to the angels. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ didn't need any angels to help him. 
He could have done whatever he wanted on that cross, but he chose to submit himself to the will of the Father. But again, think about this. You have angels, and you got to, Scripture says they're fascinated by the church. They're fascinated by the gospel. They're fascinated by this concept of mercy because they don't know it experientially. They praise God for it. But can you imagine those angels watching Christ being crucified? You know some of them are sitting there thinking, I'll just give the order. Just give the order, Lord. And we'll wipe every one of these people. These wicked people who you are now in the hands of, just give us the order and we'll take care of it. And I'm sure they're grieving mightily as they watch the Son of God die. And yet, not one of them disobeys his orders. Not one of them gets out of line and they just wait. They just wait. And don't think they're not emotionally engaged in what's going on. If you look at the interchange between the, the angel at the tomb and what he says to the women, he's pretty rough on them. You may not realize this. He, he, what the angel says to them when they come to the tomb and the Lord is risen, he says, why did you seek him? He rose as he said. In fact, he even gets more rough with Peter. He says to uh, the girls, says to the ladies, who are the only ones who have the guts to show up at the tomb that morning, right? He says to them, go tell uh, the disciples and Peter. Did you notice that they excluded him from being one of the disciples? They're taking a little shot at him. Not vindictively. I'm telling you, they, they watch us. Anyway, uh, run out of time. Well, we'll pick up. We never got to Michael and Gabriel and cherubim and seraphim. And there are a few angels mentioned in Scripture. There's another one mentioned too. Uh, but uh, anyway, we'll talk about Lucifer and the fall uh, in a second. Uh, I will just say this. 1 Timothy 5 verse 21 refers to the angels who did not fall as being God's elect angels. What that says to me is that they the ones that did not fall will never fall. You follow? We are called God's elect, uh, those who are in Christ, and you'll never fall. You'll sin. Once you get your glorified body, you'll never sin again. Yeah. Scripture refers to angels as being elect, which means that you don't have to worry about Gabriel falling somewhere down the road and leading to rebellion or Michael they're going to be like us. They're already like what we will be. And as you say, praise God. So we'll pick up uh, the fall and uh, we'll try to uh, work our way through the next section. Let's look to the Lord in a word of prayer. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, uh, these mighty ones. We thank you, Father, that they truly are ministering spirits sent forth to those who are the heirs of salvation. Father, we realize that when we get to heaven, we're probably going to find out how many times uh, your angels kept us from harm's way. And of course, Father, we live in a fallen world, and sometimes the church blows up and there are people there. But we do appreciate, Father, and realize that often you have used angels to minister to us, and probably most of the time we'll, we'll never even know it in this life. So we just praise you for that. Not them, but you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. By the way, one last thing, just because I'll be remiss if I don't say this. You don't ever pray to angels. There is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. There is a whole group out there that have caught themselves up into this idea that it's okay to pray to angels. That is sin. Only God is worthy of our prayers. No one else. Thanks.